Welcome everyone. Welcome to Bread for the Journey, where we are meeting together with believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus, fellow uh, disciples in the Lord, and we are reading the word of the Lord together, meditating upon this word through the week and coming together and sharing with one another what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us as the body through his word. And my name is Krista Smith, and I'm one of the facilitators here at Bread for the Journey. And I've been following Yeshua, uh, the Hebrew name of Jesus, for 39 years since I was nine years old. So I guess I just gave away how old I am, but that's okay. I'm, I'm you know, there's wisdom in our age, correct? But because of my uh, intimate walk with my Savior through the years, Um, I'm passionate about encouraging believers in the word of the Lord because I wholeheartedly believe that every word of God will prove true. And over the past uh, nine days, we've been reading from Genesis 1 through chapter 27. You know, we've read about Moses and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Remember, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's so much that's foundational for us um, in this particular book that really sets the stage for us understanding what the Lord is doing, his plans and purposes from beginning to end. We wouldn't fully grasp it without this book of Genesis. And so we're unpacking the scriptures together as we read through the Bible in a year, um, and and you're doing it at your own pace. So if you're new with us, we would like to welcome you and and just really encourage you to feel comfortable and and come into this family of believers. We um, want to make sure that you know right off the bat, we do not profess to know it all. We certainly don't. None of us have arrived. We're all on a journey and we're just simply walking each other home and iron sharpens iron. And so that's why we're continuing to meet because we've been instructed by our Lord to not forsake the assembling together of ourselves all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. And so we are putting oil into our lamps as we continue on in this journey. So um, I also am going to introduce to you tonight um, one of our other facilitators who's going to be leading us. His name is Jed Robine, Pastor Jed, and he has been a disciple of Jesus, our Messiah, for over 30 years, and he's been a husband for close to 25. He's got two children, and he's about to be a grandfather for the first time. So congratulations, Jed, and it's really any day now. Uh, So that's wonderful. Um, But Jed has served the body of Christ as a preacher, as a prayer leader, and him and his wife, Nicole, have been involved in um, instrumentally um, starting houses of prayer internationally. Um, You know, they've been involved in prayer ministries from Canada, the UK, Israel, Africa, and Asia. And he uh, actually recently, they've have just come back from a trip from Africa with Pastor Bernie, who I think is going to be on with us tonight. And then Jed and Nicole, his wife, are getting ready as well as Pastor Bernie to head off to Liberia soon as well. So we are very blessed to have Pastor Jed with us. Um, He's such a blessing. We also have Pastor Sylvia and Pastor Sylvia um, will not be with us tonight because she's actually in Uganda right now as we speak, and she's on Prayer Mountain, and they don't have a strong Wi-Fi signal, so she has um, committed to be with us next week, Lord willing, so we're excited to have her back with us, and I want to mention to you that um, in our reading plan, you know, that you hopefully are able to follow along with us um, 
If you don't know where that is and you're just jumping on, it's on the website. You can download it or you can follow along in the app or you can just read your Bible the old fashioned way and uh, watch, look at the um, website each day. It'll be updated. You'll get an email that tells you what we're reading. And then there's breadcrumb videos. And I want to highlight this just really quickly because over the last year, we have been recording 365 days of videos that basically go along with this entire reading plan. And it's one of the facilitators who will come on each day and give you a little bit of a commentary, five to 10 minutes or so. And um, sometimes they go a little little extra than that. But generally, that's the time frame. But it's a way for you to get a little bit more dialogue in what you're reading for that day, because there's just so much that we can't cover enough in our one and a half hours together each week. So we've put those breadcrumb videos together for you. And I hope that you'll utilize that because I feel like it is truly a tool that the Lord has used and will be a blessing to you. I also want to tell you that tonight we're going to do communion. And so if you don't have your elements ready yet, I want to encourage you to just go ahead at some point and grab those. You can grab, if you don't have wine or grape juice, you can have a little bit of water even, um, but just a little cup of something thimble size would be fine. And then a crack or a piece of bread or a piece of matzah, just a little something so that we can fellowship together in the Lord's Supper as we begin the year. Um, so I just wanted to, to let you know about that. And I want to just um, share one little thought I have, and then I'm going to pass it over to Pastor Jet to, to take us into all that the Lord has given him. And just setting the stage by something that stands out to me in Genesis really quickly, you know, there are two ways mentioned in which people obey God. And the first is labor and the second is loyalty. Man was actually made to work to cooperate with God. And we see this all through the scriptures. However, I want to say, and I believe Pastor Jed's going to take us down this road, that we know that our, our faith is a free gift from God, that our faith comes by faith. And it's a it's, it's grace, you know, that God has given us that we can't earn and we did not deserve. But we also say, see that there is this co-laboring with the Lord, cooperating with his word, being obedient to it. And it's the evidence, our works then become the evidence that our faith was genuine. It's not the root of our faith, um, but it's the fruit of our faith. It proves that that we're, our conversion was genuine. And so, you know, we see what in Genesis that Adam had to till the garden and he had to keep it. You know, God didn't say, I'll hand you your food, you know, on a plate. He said, you must till the soil. You must keep it. You know, God is a worker. And so Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is a worker. And so we're intended to be God's co-laborers. And so the other side to obedience to God and relating to him in the right way is loyalty. You know, and I'm sure there are people who've thought, you know, why would God put one tree in the garden that they weren't supposed to touch? You know, why didn't he just leave that out? You know, it would have been a lot easier, but the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why. So I'm just going to guess this is not scripture, but let's think about it that you can you can't offer um, loyalty to anyone unless there's also the opportunity to not be loyal. You know, so loyalty doesn't just happen. It's something that you develop against the background of the possibility of not being loyal. 
So here was this one tree in the garden that we've all read about now this week. And it was as if God was saying, you know, you can have all the other trees. You have enough to look at. You know, you have enough to live on. Everything really that you could ask for. But I have to include in this environment the possibility of being disloyal so that I can know that I have your loyalty. And so I want to go just a little bit further and even say that the tree seems to have stood for something. Um, and, and this is what I believe that it stood for in a way that a man would understand, like a picture teaching that as far as good and evil go, we need to leave it to God to decide which is which. You know, we don't really need to try everything for ourselves and then decide what's good for us and, you know, what might be evil for us. As far as moral questions go, you know, God wanted loyalty. You know, he wanted the tree as this reminder that he had decided what's good and evil. And at that time, he alone had the knowledge of good and evil. And it was something that we weren't meant to have. And there's a lot of people, including myself, that at times they've said, you know, I've just got to try everything before I decide if it's right or wrong. I just want to taste it before I really label it as sin. But when you do that, you're eating from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And we really don't need to try everything before we find out whether it's good or evil. We need to leave the knowledge to God, which means to take his word for it and accept his dominion over our conscience. And this is what accepting his lordship in our life looks like. You know, it's a relationship of striving to be obedient offering him our labor for his kingdom, just basically cooperating with his Holy Spirit and our loyalty, but leaving him to decide what's good and evil. We're offering our conscience for his guide, guidance. And I said all of this because that's the point in what we're doing in reading the word of God. You know, we are looking into his words of instruction and we want his instruction and his counsel to renew our minds. These are his ways and his ways are good and they're meant for us to have a good life. And so with that, I'm going to pray really quickly and turn it over to Pastor Jed. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much, Lord, for what you are doing here in this fellowship, Lord, and how you have brought in new friends and family to join us at the beginning of this year and how those we've been journeying with over the past year are continuing to come, Father. We thank you for the fruit, Lord. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our hearts. And I pray, Father, for Pastor Jed as he begins to deliver the word of, of you, Father, the word of the Lord. I pray, Father, that you would anoint this message, that you would prepare the hearts that are listening to receive it, Father, that we would not just be hearers of this word, but we would be doers, Lord. I pray that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. We worship and adore you. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We invite you to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. You are our Lord and our master, and we submit to your will. Father, teach us your ways in the mighty and precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor Jed. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Great to be with you all here in the new year. Praise the Lord. Um, and it's great to be uh, just eating and meditating on the word together as, as a spiritual family. Uh, but I want to start with the thought of if you were asked to boil the scripture down, all the whole Bible down to one word, what word would you choose? Um, 
And maybe you've never been asked that question before. What would you summarize? How would you summarize the Bible if you could only use one word? And I thought about that for a while in, in light of this uh, teaching. And the word that I would choose um, is the word covenant. And we're, we're introduced to that concept here right at the beginning of the story uh, that, that as God is telling the world who he is. And that's something that I think is important for us to understand right off the bat. As we read through the Bible, this is God. God chose to give us this revelation of his heart and his plan uh, of salvation in story form. And so, for example, there's uh, there's rivers. There's the, 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 the tree of, uh, of life that Krista mentioned in the, in, in the beginning of the intro there. Uh, in the very first book of the Bible and in the very last book of the Bible, we're back to where we all began. Whereas we're with the with the river uh, that's healing the nations and we're with it. We have a tree of life in the new Jerusalem. And so you have in seed form in Genesis is what I'm calling tonight is the gospel of Genesis. Uh, everything that is unpacked in the New Testament uh, that Paul and the apostles are going to touch on and I'll hit on some of these scriptures for us. All of it is right here for us to understand in seed form. And so I don't want to speak for the other facilitators, but I know that they would agree with me. Um, there's this is why reading through the Bible is so critical. There's some, uh, you know, denominations out there, some teachers that might uh, act like the Old Testament uh, is optional. But I think we would present to you, you need to understand the whole counsel of God from the very beginning. And, and that's why Genesis is laying this amazing foundational piece for us to understand the ministry of Jesus when he comes on the scene. And so if you're, you're trying to understand what Paul is talking about in Galatians, for example, but you've never read the book of Genesis, you won't know who Abraham is, and you won't understand the points that Paul is making in his, his letter to the Galatians about how we are justified by our faith, not by our works, and not by adherence to the Mosaic law. And so this is key for us as we enter into this. I just want to have that on our front of mind. You know, when you, when you go into the house in the natural, in order to get to the, to the third story of a house, you have to go into the front door and walk in the first floor, and then you go up to the second floor, and then you go up to the third floor. And so really, we're starting here at the foundational level of the house that God is building uh, through his counsel. Uh, and there's things that God establishes for us right off the bat that are important for us to understand who he is. And that's the number one reason why you want to read the Bible is you want to understand who God is. You want to understand what moves his heart. How did he design creation in the universe? How does he feel about human beings? You know, they're, they're fundamental uh, pursuits that we want to uh, celebrate as we read through the Bible. And, and number one on the list is what does this amazing book called the Bible tell us and teach us about God and his nature and his heart and his plan? It certainly involves human beings, and, and we're definitely in the story uh, but primarily, this is to be viewed as revelation of who God is. And so I just wanted to say those things, uh, set that up as we enter in. I'm not going to be able to touch on everything. I'm going to fly through this. But again, you've got the notes for study on your own. So I'm going to hit this as we go, okay? Uh, number one foundational truth that I just want to touch on, and this is under assault even today, and has been under assault for, for a, you know a couple hundred years now, but... Uh, God is the creator of heaven and earth. God, you know, there is an intelligent designer. He has thoughts, feelings, emotions. He has a plan. 
uh, he, he, the, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein is what Psalm 24, one says. And so this idea that's were initially introduced as God is speaking and all creation is bursting into life and purpose. And he is saying, this is good. Uh, the first truth that we're, we're confronted with, that's a foundational truth for any disciple of Jesus is we have a creator. He has intelligently and intentionally designed his creation and it was good. Um, you know, our, our fundamental, uh, the fundamental dream of God is right there for us in the first couple chapters of Genesis before sin. He wanted to be with humanity. He wanted to be with us. You know, Krista was talking about the vocational call of, of human beings was to steward God's creation with him. Uh, we were co-laborers with God. And that's a fundamental truth that we need to understand God desires relationship with his creation, relationship with human beings. He actually likes us. He doesn't just love us. He actually likes to be with you. And I don't know if you've ever had that thought that God likes you. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you like he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. And yes, sin enters the picture you know, in Genesis chapter three, everything kind of falls apart. And basically from Genesis three uh, until Revelation 22, this is God's recovery plan that he's put in motion to restore us back to himself. That's the heartbeat of God that we want to just experience as we begin going on this journey together. He loves us. He loves human beings and he wants to be in relationship with us. And so let's let's just kind of touch on that right off the bat. Um, I also want to, I mentioned that this is a truth, you know, God as the creator of the universe has, is under assault. I just want to read this from Second Peter, uh, because this affects us today. Um, this is in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Just listen to this. He says, this is the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God. And by and that by means of this world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And so Peter is saying that in the last days, there's going to become this skepticism and this scoffing and this mocking about the story of creation. And we certainly see that uh, in our time. You know, uh, we can look at the, the theory of evolution. We can look at all that's spawned from there. And we've, we've come away with this idea that... Um, you know, maybe there was at one point in time a watchmaker who created everything and then stepped away from his creation, and he's not personally engaged with humans anymore. This is a lie that's eroding this first foundational truth that we do have a creator. He created human beings. He created the male and female. He created, he invented family. He invented marriage before there was a fall. He invented sexuality. He invented pleasure. This is, the, he's the fountain of our life. And our truth. You know, John in John chapter one, he talks about Jesus. The word of God was made flesh. He he was with God in the beginning, and nothing 
that was created was created without him creating it. And so this is, this is the very heartbeat of creation we see throughout the scripture, or even in Hebrews chapter one, where the writer of Hebrews says in verse three, that all the universe is held together and consists by the word of his power. And we, here we see right here in these first chapters, the word of God's power creating out of nothing, all that exists. And so as believers, we have to uh, defend these beliefs because these are the foundational building blocks on which God is writing his story and delivering it to humanity. So God is the creator of heaven and earth. And though that, uh, that belief is under assault even today, we're here to just walk through this and give God the glory because throughout all the scripture, he's over and over and over again uh, called that, that title. He's the creator of heaven and of earth. Um, and here we have, in the, as we transition to point number two on the notes, um, God establishes the plan of salvation, uh, and it's brought about by the seed of the woman. We know the story really, really well. Adam and Eve fall. They, they do what, what God told them not to do, and there's this, uh, the enemy is brought in on the scene here. The serpent comes in, and he deceives Eve, uh, and she, she in turn turns around and gives Adam something to eat. They're deceived together. And there's judgment that begins to come in because of sin. Uh, death enters. The consequence of sin is death. Uh, and so here you have a very important passage that I just want to, we're going to come back to this tonight uh, over and over again. It's in Genesis 3, verse 15 and 16. Uh, I just want to look at this because, again, this is God's purpose that he's laying out for us from his perspective. This is what he's all about uh, going forward. And he says, uh, and we'll start in verse 14. He said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly, you will go the dust you're going to eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is a, a an idea uh, where God is, it's called the pre-evangelion, is the fancy theological name for it. But this is the first time Jesus is mentioned directly in the in the scripture, where this messy, this idea of the Messiah, this seed of the woman that's going to come forth, that's going to redeem mankind. This is the first prophetic utterance of the Lord uh, regarding that plan. And he's going to crush the serpent's head, and although the serpent's going to strike his heel, and so all mankind is waiting for this seed. And as we go through this teaching tonight, we're going to see, we're going to trace the covenantal history of the seed. We'll kind of fly through 6,000 years of human history. Um, but let's look at this one scripture too in Galatians chapter three, um, just to get a, a, a New Testament witness on what is God talking about when he's talking about the seed. And we'll touch on Galatians three, but I, I'm not going to read the whole chapter but I think that would be a great chapter if you want kind of a, uh, a supplemental study to look at what uh, Paul is saying about the story that we've been reading this past week, Galatians 3 and Romans chapter 4. But in Galatians 3, I'm just going to touch on a couple of verses. Um, he says he's talking about the law and the promise and how we're justified by faith. And he says in verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. 
This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham as a promise. And that's a fundamental understanding that New Testament teaching is bringing upon the story that we're reading, that as we're talking about the seed that's coming forth, as you look at this scripture, we're talking about Jesus. He's the seed in Genesis 3, and God's going to bring that seed through covenantal history into the New Testament times in his earthly ministry, and, and all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus, and our inheritance is coming uh, because he's going to come back uh, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so this is not just the story of Abraham or the story of Israel. This is the story of God's outworking covenantal history with all of mankind. And so just a couple of brief uh, points, too. I'm not going to touch on this much, but in, a, in addition to God establishing his identity as the creator, he also establishes his authority uh, and identity as the judge. He's the righteous judge. And so you see that that in seed form, it's planted right there at the beginning with the flood and with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that God is, is the supreme judge over the affairs of mankind. And this idea is continually taught throughout all the scriptures. God raises one leader up and he'll set another leader aside. Uh, the nations are a drop in the bucket to the Lord. And it says even in Psalm 2 that he laughs, he holds the nations and the leaders in derision who mock his plan and his anointed one, Jesus, who he's installed on his anointed hill in Jerusalem. And so here's the idea that God is the, he's not just the creator, the father of heaven and earth, the father of everything. He is the supreme judge and he is a righteous judge. He, he, his judgments are pure and they are perfect and they are right. And these two judgments that we see in, in this week's reading prefigure uh, some judgment that's going to come at the end of the age. Um, you know, where, where Peter talks about how the story of Noah and the flood is actually a picture of baptism, that although the whole world is under judgment through our faith in Jesus, just like Noah had faith and obeyed God, we can have faith and obey Jesus and we can be saved out of judgment that's coming only through faith. And so I just wanted to touch on that. Um, God established his identity as creator and he establishes his identity as the supreme judge of, of his creation. It belongs to him. No one else has authority to make those judgments except the Father. Okay, then we're going to come to where we spend the bulk of our time tonight. We're going to talk about Abraham. And again, we're, we're looking at these foundational stones that are laid in right here. We, we just touched in Galatians chapter 3 where Paul's coming back to this story, to talk to New Testament believers, to help them understand the gospel of the kingdom. And so these concepts are really important for us. Um, and so let's look at a couple of them. Uh, you know, God promises, uh, he comes to a man named Abram. He ends up changing his name to Abraham. Uh, he promises him in Genesis 12, he's going to give him many descendants. Uh, he's going to have a great name. Uh, they're going to inherit a land. He's going to have great wealth. And that through him, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so you, at this point in, in the creation story, there's no Jews, there's no, there's no Gentiles, there's just human beings. And so we're going to talk about how God begins to work through a covenant with this one man and his offspring uh, to bring about his covenantal purposes and, and how God establishes uh, this in this story. So let's look at this really quickly. Um, Abraham is the father of the Hebrews. 
but he's also the father of all the Gentiles. And so the, you know, Paul makes this clear uh, when, when, when God is speaking to Abraham and, and telling him and giving him this promise of the covenant, uh, Abraham has not entered into covenant yet. He's not circumcised yet. And so he's receiving this as in faith, and he's declared righteous by God because he believed God. That's in Genesis 15, 6. He's not saved because he's without sin. He's not saved because he follows God perfectly from that point on or before that. He is approved by God because he listened and he believed. That's it. He believed God and he was approved and he was declared righteous. And so he is, God is going to choose this one man to work with his plan for all of humanity. And now the sign of that ends up being circumcision. And Abraham has to obey that as the sign. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I just want to make it clear. Let's look in uh, Romans 4 really quick. Because Paul is laboring with the church in Rome to understand uh, this part of the story. And so he says in Romans 4, I'm just going to read a few verses. Uh, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Let's jump down here to verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, i.e. the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, i.e. the Gentiles? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. And so Paul is making the argument that Abraham is the root of all faith, that anyone who puts their faith in the seed, in Christ, whether you're Jew or Gentile, male, female, slave or free, rich or poor, or any other uh, division or, or distinctive, he's saying, if you have faith like Abraham had in God and you believe God, then you are Abraham's heir. And this is why this is part of our story. Uh, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe Jesus is the seed of the woman that crushes the serpent's head, this is your faith story. This is your covenantal history. This is our family. This is our, uh, our legacy. This is where God is taking us. And that's why as we go through this, it's important. You may have read, the, read this book a thousand times, but the Lord will show you something new, the thousandth and first. Because his, his wisdom and revelation is going to leap off the pages. I saw some stuff I'm going to share with you tonight. I've read, I don't know how many times I've read it, but I've read it in a bunch. I saw some things and then I was like, wow, I've never seen that before. Thank you, Lord. Uh, so anyway, Abraham ends up being the father of Gentiles and the Jews in the story. He's declared righteous because he believed God. God's covenant was given to him as a promise before the giving of the law. So, the, you know, Paul's point there is that the law is going to come 430 years after the promise to Abraham, and a covenant cannot be annulled by something that comes after it. And so God has another intention for the law, but it didn't replace what God said to Abraham at all. It was a, it, he, it's a continuation. He's doing something different with the Mosaic law. We'll talk about that momentarily. Um, so let's look at, I'm on the second page of the notes, point D. Um, God cuts covenant with Abraham, and he puts Abraham to sleep. Isn't that interesting in the story? 
You know, you might remember the Genesis 15, the animals are all cut in half. You can imagine how bloody and gory this field is. And, you know, Abraham sees the smoking fire pot and the torch pass between these pieces of animals that have been sacrificed. And we need to understand what covenant is uh, in the ancient world. And so what would happen is two parties would come in the, into, together. They would sacrifice an animal and they would pass between these two pieces of the animal and they'd meet in the middle and they would have usually bread and wine. They'd have a covenant meal. They'd make their oath to, to, to them, each other, what they're promising to do. And what they're declaring is, if I fail to uphold my end of what I've said, may it be done to me according to what we have done to this animal. And so it was, it was deadly serious, literally. You were invoking, a, a, you're asking God to witness your vow. And if you fail to uphold it, you are subjecting yourself to a death sentence. So the idea of covenant is incredibly important. Um, and it, it, it sums up uh, so much of God's heart for us. And again, he puts Abraham to sleep. Why? Because a, there's no way that Abraham will be able to work this out under his own flesh, on, in his own strength, or in his, by works. So God sets Abraham and puts him to sleep. God passes through the pieces of the animal, which is why Paul can say God has given this as a promise. Abraham could not earn it. This is a free gift. God is going to complete this. It is 100% on him to come through and deliver what he's promised. And so that's such a foundational element for us to understand because most of the world religions are works-based, works righteousness-based. Somehow I need to do work in order to earn something from God. Now the Lord will, he is a rewarder and we will be held to account for what we do in our bodies. But as Krista rightly said, our works and our, our good deeds come from a place of where we've been saved and we've been changed and transformed. They are a fruit of a transformed life. They do not earn God's salvation or approval. So if that makes sense, um, this is also important for us to see that in seed form, God introduces the idea of a son that's going to be sacrificed. You know, Isaac uh, ends up being a picture for us of Jesus in this amazing story in Genesis 22, where you have a loving father who is going to sacrifice his one and only beloved son. He's, the Lord says it twice to Abraham. You haven't withhold, you haven't withheld your one and only promised son from me. Um, and, you know, God tested Abraham on that. And you have this idea that God is going to provide the ram. God is going to provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And even there, you have this picture of the gospel, right? That God is the provider. And in the thicket, there's going to be a lamb. God's not going to require Abraham to sacrifice his only son. God is going to sacrifice his son for us. Beautiful. Be absolutely stunning when you think about how beautiful it is, which is John 3.16. Why did God do it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. There it is again. Whosoever believes in him has faith in him, right? Paul in Romans chapter 10 says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God and he was raised from the dead and you confess it with your mouth, you're saved. You're saved. And so this idea that, that he, but here it is in Genesis, a loving father who's, who is being a picture of the heavenly father, the perfect heavenly father. And of course, the Lord doesn't, uh, doesn't permit 
Abraham to go through with the sacrifice. He provides the, the ram for the sacrifice. And you can hear John the Baptist in, in John chapter one saying, behold, here is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And so if you don't know this part of the story, what John is saying there, uh, this, even pre- this is even before you know uh, Passover and that lamb. This is even before that God is beginning to communicate what he is going, to, what he is willing to do, the links he will go to, to communicate his love for human beings. And it's covenantal love. It's, there's nothing stronger than covenant. Um, we're used to contract. We're used to, I'll, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. And if you fail to pay me, uh, I don't owe you the service that I have agreed to render to you. But that's a lot different than a covenant. A covenant is a unilateral declaration of intent. Um, and so all the covenants that we're looking at tonight are God has made a promise to humanity. Um, man has not done anything to earn that. In fact, humans screw it up. They're part of the, <laughs> they're part of obedience and follow through. We are, are notoriously awful at obedience. Uh, but what God is doing, he's bringing this plan of bringing forth the seed of the woman to undo what Satan did in the garden to deceive us and cause us to give up our relationship with God and our birthright in him. So I want to just touch really briefly on the symbols of covenant to further give us a little bit more understanding. So we talked about the split animals and what that means is that's the death sentence. If I fail to fulfill my vows, uh, may it be done to me according to what we've done to these animals. Uh, We talked about the bread and the wine. And we're going to have communion here later together as a as a community. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Right here is the seat of communion. The covenant of communion is celebrated right there in Genesis 14 when Abraham tithes to Melchizedek and they break bread and have wine. That's the first time in Scripture that bread and wine are linked in a covenant meal. And so it's really interesting, the Hebrew name for Melchizedek, Melech Zedok, We'll read about him when we get to the letter of Hebrews and in Psalm 110, he's mentioned there too. Uh, but that mean, that name means he's the king of righteousness and he's ruling from a place called Salem, which is peace. So you have this king of righteousness who comes, who's ruling a realm called peace. Uh, and then you also have in the story that we read uh, a place called the Tower of Babel on the plain of Shinar. And that becomes the city of Babylon as we go through the scriptures. And that's even there at the end of the story in the book of Revelation, you have Babylon, which has become a world power at that time, the spirit of Babylon. And so you have in seed form, even the idea of the new Jerusalem contrasted with uh, Babylon right there in Genesis. And this is going to be a through line that we'll be looking at as we go through the story that of, of God. But anyway, you have the split animals, you have the bread and the wine. And then there's this interesting uh, story in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Um, I'm just going to draw on it just because it's, it's, it was uh, sometimes used in the rites of covenant. When people would cut a covenant together, um, what happens in this particular story, you might remember, David has just killed Goliath. They've, he's, his heart is knit with a man named Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. And these two become fast friends. And they cut covenant together in their friendship. And what Jonathan does is he gives David his weapons, he gives him his robe or tunic, and he gives him his belt. And so these were symbols of what covenant stood for. And I just want to lightly touch on this so that we can understand it. Um, What does a belt represent? Well, in the ancient world, the belt was a symbol of strength. 
Um, you know, if, if Bernie and I were in covenant and we live next door to each other uh, and Bernie, you know, he's got to raise a barn or he's got to build a house or he's doing something on his, he's got to bring in his harvest in covenant. I have said to him, I've given you my belt. That means Bernie, when you need me for the things that you're doing on your property, call me. I've covenanted to you that my strength will be yours. Um, you know, those of you that love Lord of the Rings, you know, you have my sword, you have my axe, you have my bow. Um, you know, there's this idea of pledging my my house and, and, and my strength to your cause. And that's what the belt really represents. Uh, when they exchange weapons, uh, that really is an exchange of enemies saying, you know, if Bernie, again, if Bernie and I are, if one of us gets attacked, uh, we've made a vow uh, under covenant that I'm going to be his ally and he's going to be my ally. Um, and it actually doesn't matter if we're attacked or if me or Bernie is the one that instigates. If you're in covenant, you're bound to go and support your ally, whether they were a knucklehead or not. You've got to work that out with them uh, after the fact. But if you've covenanted them and you've given them your weapons, you have pledged your uh, your weapon to their cause. Uh, the tunic exchange is an exchange of an identity, which means that when Bernie comes over to my house, uh, he will be treated as if he were me. When I put my robe on Bernie, that is saying you are you are part of my family, and as my family treats me, they will treat you. You can you know stick your hand in my fridge and grab a coke. You can come over for dinner whenever you want. Uh, you got a room upstairs to crash. You have a bed. You know if you need a place to stay when you're on the road, you come in, and that's really the identity of the tunics and the exchange of identities is that you're one of you. We're one in, in the, the family level. But how does that look, you know, in terms of the new covenant, we're in a covenant with Jesus, uh, the everlasting, the new covenant. And when you think about the belt, um, you know, we are weak, but in our weakness, he is strong. And like Philippians 4 verse 13, for example, says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he is giving us his belt of strength. And so if you are weak like I am, or you're struggling, or you're downcast, we can go to a loving uh, God who loves us and died for us. And we can call on him to give us the strength that we need in that moment. And I hope that encourages you. The weapons, um, you know, our enemies are God's enemies. God's enemies are now our enemies, by the way. So uh, you may find yourself under warfare at different times and you may not understand what's going on, but if you've accepted Christ into your heart and you're living as a disciple, the enemy that hates God hates you. Uh, and he will come after you and you might find yourself under warfare. You can read all about this in Ephesians chapter six. And, uh, you know, Paul talks about that in other places. But, uh, you know, we can call on the name of God uh, and the blood of Jesus and we can cast out demons. We can we can deal with the enemy when we need to, not in the name of Jed or in the name of Krista or the name of Bernie or anyone else's name, but in the name of Jesus. And in the blood of Jesus, he's given us that authority, and he's given us these weapons of our warfare to defeat the enemy when we need to. And what about, I, what about the tunics? Well, you know, our, our righteousness is filthy rags. Um, but, you know, I, what I like to teach people is, you know, uh, Jed took off his dirty, nasty garments of, that were sin-stained, sin and Jesus put on me his righteousness, his covering over me. You know, I got straight F's on my report card and I was going to get a bad spanking. Jesus took that spanking. He erased the name, my name off the straight F's and he put, he wrote his name in and he took that punishment that was coming for me. And then he erased his name 
off the straight A report card and he wrote Jed's name in. And now, not only am I not going to get punished for my sin, but I'm going to be treated and have an inheritance that Jesus earned. That is the good news of the gospel, not just that our sins are forgiven, but that we have a share of the inheritance. Paul calls them the glorious inheritance and riches in Christ in Ephesians chapter 1. And so we're, we're again back to this great, beautiful story of a loving creator, God, who is willing to sacrifice his only son to bring us not just into where our, we're forgiven and we're up to zero. We were at negative one million and he brings us up to zero. No, he's brought us up to the level where he as in fact, Jesus says this in John 17, that praying for the church, he says that they would know that you love them as much as you love me. Hallelujah. These are why covenant is such a big deal. And God brings us into this covenant. Um, so I hope that encourages you tonight. Um, let's move on. For the sake of time, we've got about 10 minutes and then we'll open it up. Uh, the sign of the covenant is really important. Um, you know, uh, Abraham is brought in and he's told that in order for this to go forward, you need to receive the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. We don't really talk about it that much in the church. But why is circumcision such a big deal? It was actually a big deal in the New Testament, too, for different reasons. But this is, again, when you think about what God is doing, um, he's bringing forth the seed. And so literally you are taking the member through which that seed is going to pass over the generations, pass through. You are submitting that as a sign of consecration and partnership with God's plan. God was looking for a partner in Abraham. Are you going to work with me in my plan to bring forth the seed of the woman? I'm looking for you. I'm looking for a family to establish this and bring the Messiah through in time. Um, and so he's looking for that, that uh, sign of faith. And of course, that was Abraham's. That's why he was declared righteous. He just believed God. So circumcision ends up being a sign of faith, consecration, and, part, and partnership with God to bring forth the seed. Uh, it's interesting to note, sometimes I ask people when I teach on circumcision, you know, I ask them, uh, when is the first time Jesus shed blood for a covenant? And a lot of times, you know, believers will kind of stop and think, and most of the time they'll say, uh, well, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane because he, he sweat drops of blood. And I say, oh, well, you know, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Isn't that interesting that actually the circumcision, this was, this was given before the law of Moses. So was the Sabbath. And so was the tithe, actually. These are three things that come before the law of Moses. Um, these all exist before the giving of the Mosaic law. These are just ways of God. Uh, but it's interesting that Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day. And so he's taken on himself the sign of the covenant. And I just want you to think about it for a minute. Um, you know, God makes a promise to Abraham and Abraham's seed forever. Jesus is the seed and he is in Abraham's loins when God makes the promise. And then uh, 4,000 years later, Jesus is born. And when he's there, I'm sorry, 2,000 years later, Jesus is born. As a baby, Jesus, who is fully God, takes that same sign on his own body. And so this is how serious God takes the covenant. God himself received the sign of that covenant. And this is why I want to look at this verse really quickly. 
Um, Romans 15, verse 8. He says, Paul's been talking about Jews and Gentiles throughout the whole letter to the Roman church. But this is why Paul says this in, in chapter 15, verse 8. For I tell you, Christ became a servant to the Jews to show God's faithfulness in order to confirm the promises he gave to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So how can Jesus be a confirmation to the promises that God made to the patriarchs? The patriarchs are generally Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, but Abraham is the first one. How is Jesus coming as a servant to confirm those promises? Well, he came and he took that sign of that covenant on his own body. Uh, it's an amazing understanding there, but um, this is why, you know, the, the New Testament is a completion. Jesus fulfills biblical faith in the new and everlasting covenant. Um, he doesn't annul it. He doesn't destroy it. He doesn't abolish. He fulfills uh, that purpose. And so you can read uh, just a couple of other notes on circumcision. We are not saved by circumcision. Whether you're circumcised or not, it matters little. Acts 15 settles that for the New Testament believers. Uh, Galatians 5, 6, Paul settles it once and for all. I just want to be really clear on that because this was a huge controversy in the, in the early church was uh, Judaizers who were coming in and saying, in order to follow Jesus, if you're a Gentile, you have to go through the law of Moses. And that has changed a little bit through the ministry of Christ. But so Paul says, no, you're not saved through keeping the Mosaic law. You're saved by faith alone through grace. Okay, amen. So a couple things just to finish real quick. Point number six, I want to look at this, the inheritance of the seed of the Messiah. Um, we know he's going to crush the serpent's head. I don't know if you guys caught this. I referenced a few minutes ago. This is something that hit me the other day. I had never seen this before. Uh, in Genesis 22, the Lord is talking to Abraham and he's commending him for uh, being willing to sacrifice Isaac. And then he says, uh, your offspring, your seed is going to possess the gates of his enemy and all the nations of the earth will be, will be blessed. And Jesus, you know, uh, Simeon, when Jesus is born, same time he's getting circumcised, Simeon says, this is the hope and consolation for Israel, and he will be a light to the Gentiles. So in, in the ministry of Jesus all along, in the very heart of God, from the very beginning of the story, this was always about saving the world, not just Israel. Israel plus all the nations. Uh, and I love that. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through this seed. But it's interesting that he says he's going to possess the gates of his enemy. And that part of the blessing is actually echoed two chapters later in chapter 24, verse 60. Uh, you remember, the servant of Abraham has gone to get Rebekah to come back to be Isaac's wife. And they bless her on, her on their way out. And they actually prophesy over her and say, your offspring will possess the gates of his enemy. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. Jesus is the seed. And here is this direct a uh, prophetic declaration that he's going to possess the gates of his enemy. And then, of course, that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter uh, 15, verses 15 through 19. I'm sorry, chapter 16. He is talking about uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against who, against who he is as the Messiah and against his ecclesia. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love it. It's, again, all these things are in seed form in the book of Genesis. Um, so 
to close really quickly, we're talking about the promised seed. We're looking at uh, the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, God's going to bring that seed to one man. He's going to say, through you, you're going to take the sign of circumcision. You're going to consecrate. You're going to work with me in covenant. Um, that We're going to see the story of Jacob who becomes Israel. Israel becomes a nation. That nation is delivered out of the bondage of slavery, and God gives them the Mosaic law. And we'll talk about that later, but just to touch on it very briefly here, he's teaching them how to walk with him in his ways, and he's delivering a culture, a law, uh, he's he really is marrying a people under that covenant. Um, and so there's the Abrahamic covenant, and then he's going to have an, uh, this na this nation of priests called Israel that he's working with. And out of that nation of priests, out of these 12 tribes, uh, he picks a, a, a king from the, from the tribe of Judah, David, who is a man after his own heart. And he's going to say, I'm going to, David, and this is in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. He gives David a covenantal promise that through his line, he will always have a king on the throne before God. And that is why Jesus is known as the son of David. That's a direct connection to the story. This is not just the seed of David. This is not just the son of David. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3. This is our guy. This is the seed of the woman that's coming forth. And then, of course, uh, as we know the story of the birth of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, he he. Uh, cuts a new covenant with all of humanity called the new and the everlasting covenant. Uh, you can read about it in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31 or Ezekiel 36, Isaiah 55 have some references there for you. Uh, but of course, he's there in the, the Last Supper uh, where he's had a Passover Seder meal with his beloved friends, his disciples. And he says he takes the bread and the wine, the covenant meal that was right there with Melchizedek and Abraham and was right there throughout all of the Passover celebration. He says, this is my body, it's broken for you. And this is my blood that has been shed for you. And this is why he says, I have longed to eat this meal with you. You know, God has been waiting a long time to have his inheritance, to have his family, to have sons and daughters that are brought back into the fullness of a relationship that we were always meant to have. And so I'm gonna stop there, it's about 8.30. Um, again, this is just an overview. Just want to encourage you as you go through this to allow the, the revelation of the love of God to touch your heart this year as you go through the story, um, because he's so passionate about us. It blows my mind, the love of God and the goodness of God and the majesty of his plan that it's for Israel and it's for all the nations. And we're being brought into this wonderful family because of our faith in Christ and because of what he has done for us. Amen and amen. I want to just open up for some uh, comments or questions from anybody out there. Again, just feel free to use your reaction button and raise your hand if you'd like to, uh, if you have anything you'd like to share. You know, I'll, I'll just get started. Um, it Obviously, you covered so much. <clears throat> One thing that jumped out at me was when you asked that question at the very beginning. If you had one word to describe the Bible, what would it be? Uh, and you, you know, went into covenant, and I, I started asking myself that question: you know, what, what would I say? Uh, and I guess my simple answer to that, in addition to covenant, but if I had to choose one word, I would still just choose Yeshua. I'd still just choose Jesus, uh, because all of the Scripture points to Him in some way shape or form every book 
in this book points to Jesus. Uh, and, you know, we have so many different ways we can go in terms of teaching and uh, what our ministries can be. And obviously God gives a diverse um, ministry to his, to his body. But I've kind of gotten to this place where, and I think you, you probably saw it come out a little bit in, in Kenya last summer, um, but I've kind of been running with it. I've gotten to this place where Jesus is really the only thing that I want to talk about, like in whether it's teaching or whatever. He is everything. He's everything. And so like just coming back to that reality, that, that, that core belief that he is who he says he is, Jesus really is everything. Everything. We live in such a messed up world. You know, we read about it in Genesis. Not fell. I'm just getting a little filled up because he really is everything. He's everything. And it's him who's brought us together. Like it, it, this is blowing my mind tonight that, you know, we're up here in Washington, DC and, you know, people are all over the place. Um, but Jesus has brought all of us together at this time on this day. Um, so I'm just, I'm just a little overwhelmed at, at, uh, at the beauty of who he is. Um, what an awesome, awesome God. Hallelujah. Love you, bro. Go ahead, Shantae. How you doing? Hi, good evening, guys. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, so when you said the one word that stuck out, it was for me, it was um life. It was life. And because I seen life in the garden and I seen life in Revelation. From the beginning to the end, there was life that was taking place, right? And it was the life of Christ. And oh, wait, before I forget, I have to say. I love you, Pastor Bernie. That's my pastor. Like, I have to tell him I love him. <laughs> Can't be on here without telling my pastor I love him. But um, love all you guys. But um, and then it was something that you said, because I was I'm I'm a note taker, so <laughs> so I'm always constantly write, writing. Um, I like when you broke down like the um covenant, like different parts of the covenant, like the belt, and you were speaking about the symbol of strength and everything like that. And the way you broke it down was like just so unique, like to where it was just easy to like really understand. And I can appreciate that. And then you broke down something else that you said, Jesus took that punishment that was meant for us. And you use a report card to, <laughs> to like, you know, show that like he took what a straight F report card and removed our name from that and placed his name there. And he took his A report card, his report card that was full of A's and removed his name and 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 like gave put our name there and i i just i don't know i just took that and was like it just did something for the inside you know on the inside of me like it 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 spoke volumes on the inside like wow like this is the love that we have from our lord and savior like that he would just and we know this you understand we know this already but to hear it to continuously hear it or hear it from, you know, somewhere else and from someone else's perspective, it's just like, my God. 
Like I'm with my pastor. I'm I'm like him. I'm full of tears too over here. But <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Well, let's. Uh, I just want to pray for you because I think the Holy Spirit's giving you something fresh on the inside. I love that. So let's just let's just pray for Shantae, and then if you, if anyone else has a comment, we'll come back to kind of going around the room. But uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in Shantae's heart right now with the revelation of the report cards and in others, Lord, uh, as you teach us and show us, it's not just that you loved us and, uh, and, and, and saved us from our sins. You imputed your righteousness to our account. And we, we deserved everything that you got at the cross. We don't deserve anything, uh, good that you have in your inheritance. And yet you took all the bad and you gave us all the good and we're undone by your beauty. And uh, I just pray for Shantae as my sister that you would just touch her heart and allow that revelation to percolate and grow and expand and um, bless her. We pray you would bless uh, others as well. Uh, whatever you're doing in the hearts of us as your sons and daughters, Lord, that you would be magnified as we study your word and talk together and share about who you are. And as Bernie said, it's all about you, Jesus. Uh, every book of the Bible, it's all about you. And we thank you that just as the disciples, you showed from the from the prophets uh, who you were, according to Luke 24, and their hearts burned within them, that you are still burning our hearts up with your beauty. You're causing our hearts to just meditate and grow and expand. And we get so passionate when we when we catch a glimpse of your goodness, Lord. And so we bless you tonight and we bless Shantae and we bless uh, you, Holy Spirit, for bringing revelation to, uh, to, to each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Deb, welcome. Please share your heart. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Jed. Uh, Krista, it's such a pleasure to be here. I can't believe we're back for another year, another 365 days. I'm so excited. Man. And just to know what God is going to give us in this time. And I mean, already the things he's already opened up and it's just the first week. So it's like, whoa. But yeah, yeah. Amen. So when, when you asked that question, the first thing that came into my mind was truth. And that is the word is true. There's nothing in that word that is not true. There's nothing in there that God doesn't say he's going to do that he hasn't done. He's going to do. He's already done it. And it's just, I don't know, in this world we live in today, to me, it's so refreshing to know that whatever I read in there, it's the truth. I can truly believe that. It's not CNN. It's not ABC. It's not all these other things. It's the word of God and it's the truth. And I'm so excited about that. And I'm so thankful. And um, that's all I had to say, amen. Amen. We've had the truth and the life. We just need someone to say that the word is the way. And then we have we have Jesus, <laughs> the way, the truth, and the life. I love it. Uh, praise that's God. Amazing. Okay, Phyllis, uh, I think you have your hands up. And then I think Terrence is back on. So we'll have you come on next after Phyllis, Terrence. Well, I just wanted to say that the, the, the presence of the Lord is in my home. I'm sitting here all alone. And I, the Lord, it was just an anointing teaching tonight, Pastor Jed. And I just want to thank you for that. And I just want to say that the part that really that really ministered to my heart, many much of your Bible study did. But just the part where you talked about how God cut the covenant with Abraham. And it was completely him. 
Like all Abraham, his simple little job was to just believe, just believe. And uh, that the Lord, you know, kind of put him in this trance, but he allowed him to see uh, what he was doing on his behalf. I, I just think it's a beautiful thing. It's really an encouragement in my heart that that my faith uh, needs to, it just needs to be strengthened. And I just need to trust God simply for what he says and just go with, go with him. Just go with God. And leave, leave the consequences of, of whatever comes my way to him and just trust him for, for it all. And uh, it just, it's been a faith builder for me tonight. And I just thank you. I thank you. I'm just so grateful for the team that God has assembled here on Tour of Truth. Um, it is a blessing to my heart, straight from the throne of God. Amen. Well, God bless you, Phyllis. Thank you for that encouragement. And, you know, I just want to reinforce what you said. You know, Jesus says, um, your work is to believe in the one whom the father sent. Isn't that amazing? Uh, our work is to believe. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why the thief on the cross is, is in there as part of the story. You know, he didn't do one work. He didn't get baptized. Uh, there's no, he doesn't do one good deed, except he believed and he Amen. confessed with his mouth. And so that's, I love your testimony of, of what the Lord's doing to encourage you, Phyllis. Um, we believe in the one whom he sent. And it's that faith that opens up revelation and opens up the opportunity for the God to begin to change us on the inside through Amen. his word and through, through his presence as we walk with him each day. We need him every day. Amen. So beautiful. All right, brother Terrence. Yes, amen, amen. Back um, to your face, man. Amen. Just to be very brief, I was just blessed um, by your um, one word uh, view of the Bible, which is um, one of many words, amen, which is covenant. Because if you look at it, uh, covenant, a covenant has its origin from, from God, but um, contracts have its origin from man. And uh, um, you see, with God, he, he keeps his covenant no matter what. You know, no matter what you do, he's faithful to his covenant. Amen. And so, you know, when I just relate that to, uh, you know, um, um, the marriage that is blessed by God, it doesn't mean things will not happen. But at the end of the day, each par party has a responsibility to uphold their covenant if you're going to follow uh, God's way of doing things. So uh, I was just blessed by that. And, you know, it was just another reminder for me to, to, to be faithful to this covenant. Um, that I took before God, because if you if you look at it carefully, when we make covenants, um, we make it before God. But when we make contracts, God is not involved. <laughs> Amen. So, so I just I just love that about um, you know talking about the covenant and and really the the power of a covenant. You know, it's 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 uh, it's 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 your life, literally. Amen. Mm. That's Good just stuff, just that part. Thanks for sharing, brother. Good stuff, Christy. You got some thoughts. One thing that resonates with me also, though, as we're talking about the faith that Abraham had, that he believed God, I think it's important um, to also really look into what that means, because we see that the, the New Testament scriptures give us um, the word that says that even the demons in hell believe but they're not going, you know, so it's not just believing in his existence. The difference is the faith of Abraham is that he believed every word God said, but he was believing him as Lord. So it's not just about acknowledging that he is up there somewhere or that 
Jesus might have been who he said he was, you know, as far as the historical account of his life, but it's believing him with the faith that acknowledges him as Lord, you know, that he's supreme, that he's creator, that you trust, that you're submitting to him as I trust what you're saying. That's the whole thing of faith, right? Where it's the um, evidence of, uh, sorry, my computer just fell. Things not seen. Um, well, I guess my computer screen is supposed to be right there right now. Anyway, you know, just, but I think that's really pivotal for us to also process as we're talking about faith and what it means to believe God, that it's not just believing in him, that we're actually, um, you know, because even when we look into um, praying and the words that are given to us in, in the New Testament as well about our faith, it says that we're supposed to believe without doubting because the one who doubts is, is tossed about, you know, back and forth. And it says that person that doubts with doubt in their heart shouldn't believe they're going to receive anything from the Lord. You know, because we have to believe God, you know, so it's like he promised these things. And really what our our, our thing with our faith sometimes where we where we might have the possibility for doubts is maybe when we do pray or we do uh, try to stand on promises and maybe we don't see what we would expect in like our timing. Um, and so really, then it just comes into, I think, believing with uh with the reality that we still have to understand and unlock God's word we have to learn how to apply his word to us uh, we have to receive it in a way you know receive it in the right way um so that we are unlocking the promises to us because there's so many promises to us that we also have to understand what's being said because there's promises that say there's this if this do you know what I mean? There's a condition with the promise or, you know what I mean? We have to just start looking at the word and not just thinking, well, it says this because it says, you know, that, um, um, what was the one I'm thinking of? Those who walk according to the spirit, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't have a period right there. It has a comma who walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. So it doesn't just say there's no condemnation to those who walk in Christ Jesus. It says, comma, who walk according to the spirit. And so to me, I just think that that's the thing about faith is really just that we've really got to understand. We've got to look into this word of God. And then like um, Phyllis has said, and others have resonated and believe what he said, trust him at his word, um, not overanalyze what he's saying, just trust him at his word and let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us into our understanding of what he's instructing us or how he's instructing us. I love what you're saying. And, and, you know, I mean, it, it's the difference between, you know, looking at a chair and sitting in a chair, you know, you can look at a chair and say, I believe that the chair can hold my weight, but until you put your weight in the chair, you haven't put your faith in it. Um, and so there is a difference between making mental ascent and then surrendering and submitting to lordship of Christ in your life. So good stuff. Uh, looks like we have a Deb. Did you want to jump in? I saw a hand raised there. Yeah, I just was going to say I love what Krista said and 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 the when she said and and the, and the comma and walk, which to me means action. Mm -hmm. That the faith takes a, an action. There there is a verb 
that goes along with that with that faith. It's not just like you said, believing, but actually, and you said, you know, with obedience and submission, but taking that action. So I was just kind of, that really resonated. Amen. Phyllis. Yes. It, also, when Krista was speaking of that, I, my heart thought, you know, my, my body doesn't bear the physical mark of circ- circumcision, but the, but the New Testament talks about circumcision of the heart. And really, as Krista was speaking, my, you know, my heart's cry is, Lord, make my heart tender and pliable toward the things of you. Make me sensitive. Uh, draw me closer. Uh, let there be within my, within my body, within my heart, the sign of your circumcision. Mm-hmm. The, of the, of the, New, the New Testament, as the New Testament speaks about it being my heart. Cutting away the enmity of the flesh that is at war with God. Our flesh is at war with the spirit and that circumcision of the heart is the cutting away of that enmity that's in our nature uh there against the lord so good stuff chantelle welcome hi uh, i just wanted to say I, I couldn't stand being away i did a job for the lord today and i i was working in until uh since 8 a.m and was trying to finish the job. And I'm amazed by the Lord, amazed by the Lord. But so please forgive me for being late. Uh, But I just thank you for the teaching. And I'm amazed that he's brought all of us together. And just what Bernie said, all I want to do is talk about Jesus. That's all I want to do. And I eat and live and breathe Jesus. Um, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful for his word where would we be without his word? I'm grateful that he wants a relationship with us. Just like you said, he wants to hold our hand. He wants to walk with us every day. And um, just for this job today, I said, I, I pray every day and really all day long. I- I'm talking to him all day long. And this morning I-, I prayed and I said, Lord Jesus, lead the way. And if there's anyone at this job that you want to highlight, you highlight and and help me to speak boldly and clearly. And he knocked my socks off. He will knock your socks off. It's just so beautiful. And he longs to know us and for us to know him and to walk in the fruit of the spirit and to just fill our lives with his love and his word. And when you said one word, I just can't think of one word for the Bible, but, you know, just and truth and holy and merciful and love and, and, and covenant and Jesus, like Bernie said, and I'm just so grateful. And I I just wanted to praise the Lord and he is personal and he is alive and he is walking with us. And if we abide in him and his words abide in us, we will bear much fruit. And it's just, that's the key, the abiding and talking to him and bringing him in every aspect of our lives and, and praying for obedience. And I just wanted to, to, say thank you and and god bless all of you and thank you jed for your teaching thank you holy spirit and praise the lord amen oh bless you chantal yeah so great to hear from you and yeah i love it um i'm just looking at the time and we're going to take 
just time to, to have some communion. So if you have your elements and you want to take communion, um, we're going to, we're going to do that. And, uh, so I'm just going to pour a little bit here and get ready, but I was going to, because this is the, uh, we just talked about Melchizedek and Jesus. Well, I believe he's Jesus, uh, pre-incarnate, but Melchizedek and Abraham are having this encounter. And so communion, I just want us to maybe have this thought of reflection. Um, it, it points us back all the way back to the beginning of our story, which we've just looked at tonight. Um, God's been bringing the seed from the very beginning. And there's Abraham breaking bread with the king of righteousness who rules Salem, Jerusalem. And yet we know the author of the book of Hebrews says that Abraham was looking for the city not made by the hands of men, but by the hands of God. And so Abraham had a revelation in his heart of the new Jerusalem. It's all the way at the end of the story. And so communion connects us to the future, connects us to the past, what God has done in the past. He's been faithful, but it connects us to the future of where we're going and we're going to dwell with God forever and he's going to wipe away every tear and he's going to heal every pain and all the wrongs are going to be righted and it says in the book of revelation he's going to dwell with man forever we won't need the sun or the moon anymore because he will be our light and so communion connects us to our past it connects us to the future where we're going and it connects us to our present right now where we can break bread and it's like taking a spiritual shower. Doesn't really matter how bad your week was. You can come into the presence of the Lord. Like the author of Hebrews says, we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of the blood of Christ, because he's the lamb and he's the high priest in one. And we can come, this, this covenant meal means, Lord, here I am. You died for me. I'm putting my faith in your sacrifice for me. Your shed blood and your broken body, that covenant was ratified for me to walk with you and, and to live my life with you and for you to live your life through me. Like Chantel was saying, I'm at work. How do you want to shine your light through me at work, my family? The struggles that we're going through, I feel weak. I feel tired. Be my strength. Um, I feel condemned. I feel shamed. No, I've got to remember that your, it's your report card, not mine. And it just reconnects us back to the truth. The communion aligns us with the truth in the present. And so it, it holds past, present, and future together. And that's why I think this is such an important sacrament in the church, the Lord's Supper, that there's spiritual power in it. In fact, Paul says that when we take this meal together, we declare to the heavenly realms uh, his resurrection until he returns. So we're declaring over our families and over our lives to powers and principalities that are against God and against uh, the gospel of the kingdom. We are declaring our faith in his work, in the story that we've been studying tonight, that we're going to study all year together. The beauty of God, the love of God the uh, the person of Jesus Christ who takes us in uh, as the prodigals and we're one with him. 
And so if you have your elements, I just encourage you to take it. I'm going to. Take this, uh, Lord, this is your, you said in your word, this is your body that was broken for us. And we thank you that you gave uh, your, your life on earth. You sacrificed yourself for us. And we know that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that Jesus, according to the word, you're the true bread from heaven. In fact, you were born at Bethlehem. In the Hebrew, Bet Lechem, the house of bread. <laughs> the bread of heaven was born in the house of bread. Praise God, and, and you feed us. You gave manna to the children of Israel in the wilderness. You feed us in our sojourn on the earth, and you give us spiritual food to drink and eat that nourishes us. And so we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your body, and we receive this in faith that uh, you love us, you died for us, and we put our we, our faith in you and you alone. We thank you for your body. Amen. And we thank you, Lord, for your shed blood that ratifies the new covenant. It was the ram that was provided in the thicket. The father didn't, didn't require Abraham to shed his blood of his only begotten son, the son of promise. Even though other demonic principalities and powers required child sacrifice, father, I thank you that you don't require that sacrifice from our own hand. But Lord, you're willing to make that sacrifice yourself for us. And we thank you, Jesus, for your obedience to death, even death on a cross, that you permitted your holy blood to be shed to please the heavenly father and to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And so we're here to worship you and just acknowledge um, in us dwelleth no good thing, but we thank you for your blood that redeems us, that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that washes away our sin as though they are as scarlet, your blood washes them as white as the snow. And so we thank you for your blood tonight, Jesus. And we pray over each uh, person and family represented here, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them and let your face shine upon them. Be gracious unto them and grant them, grant us all your peace. In Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. Amen. All right. Well, week one. We're, we're, we're chewing through Genesis. We're going to be hitting, heading into more on the story of Jacob. We didn't even touch on Jacob tonight. We've got Jacob. We've got Joseph. We've got some great things coming up in the next week. So look forward to seeing you all next week. And uh, God bless you all. And thanks for coming in and being part of Bread for the Journey. And we'll, we'll see you on the Pilgrim Road.